Real stories. Real stories. Real people. I just can't believe it. It was one of the most exciting times of my life. It's just, I just can't believe that it happened to me. Me winning the lottery. I just can't believe it. Real stories. Real stories. Real people. Winning the premiership was awesome. Felt great holding the trophy. So it happened when I was 15 and it was pretty scary at the time, but you know, looking back, I, I think I learned a lot. It's my life. Yes, hello and good afternoon and welcome to It's My Life here on Radio Karam, where we talk to local people and hear some of their incredible stories about their lives. I'm Karenza and I'm joined by my co-host Kim. Hi, Corinza. How are you? Good. It's good to be back in the studio again. And today our very special guest is James, founder of Hard Cuddles, a unique mental health organisation based right here in Carrum. Now, I'm going to give a parental advisory for today's programme that some of the discussion may include material that potentially might be unsuitable for children under the age of 15. So parents, you might want to have a think about that. Um, so let's get started. Everyone needs a cuddle sometimes, even tough guys. And that cuddle can be an empathetic ear from someone who's been down a similar road and escaping to the wild with the guys for a few days, an open space to vent, feel validated and heard, or a wake-up call from someone who's been there. For years, we've been following the story from James, the founder of Hard Cuddles, and his fascinating take on the issue of mental health when it comes to men. As a young man, James was known as the hammer in the underworld and nightclub scene, and he was a feared enforcer, capable of inflicting indescribable pain on anyone that stood in his way. Supreme violence and a manipulative, calculating streak were the tools of the trade. Drugs, dealing, addiction, they were all challenges that James faced. But it was an embracing family background and an unwavering ability to believe he was destined for redemption that allowed the hammer, as he was known, to claw his way back from the darkness and use his hard-earned experience to assist men to break the cycle of addiction and crime and rediscover their own power and spirit. The organisation that he founded, Hard Cuddles, provides peer support, meaning that men who have come through challenging times themselves then mentor other men through the emotional challenges that they're facing. And as James has said, when you go through the big things in life, addiction, prison, you do the hard stuff alone. People can make really bad decisions when they're alone. It's great just to be connected when you're going through hard times. And that's why Hard Cuddles is there to support you. So um, we're wrapped to have James join us today in the studio to share his story with us. So welcome, James. Thank you. That was a big pump up. It is a big pump up. <laughs> very good. Lovely to be here. Thanks very much for having me on the show. No, it's terrific. It's great of you to be here. Um, James, let's start from the start. Can you just tell us a little bit about your childhood and where it all started? Yeah, charm childhood, unconditional love from two parents that are still married to this day, um, have an amazing uh, relationship with my brother and sister but we were I think we were we were raised to be really um to think for ourselves to be independent not to follow um so all three of us run our own show by nature now and um yeah we were just it was all about belief our parents were really strong on that growing up so yeah, it was an amazing childhood, absolutely um, fantastic. I was only reflecting because I probably planned this myself soon, but the old man never worried, and mum really either. They didn't, they weren't chasing 
significance or status in the corporate sector. Yep. So mum was a stay-at-home mum for for a long time and so dad was the earner and um, he was always around and so it was always that um, care we felt cared for and I remember when I was nine, I think, he started planning it and bought a trailer and we packed up and drove to Cairns and then spent three months coming down the east coast of Australia camping. Wow, that would have been a great adventure oh. for a kid. <laughs> and the three of us, you know, like Paulie would have, would be too young to remember my youngest brother, but my sister and me still talk about it. It was just surfing, fishing, so basic um, and it was, you know, I've been, I've been to a few countries overseas and that's the highlight of my life still, so I want to give my kids that, but... That's the sort of stuff we did. A lot of time at the beach. Like you always find a harding close to water. So yeah, and that 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 was that was our childhood. It was absolutely blessed. Great. So so when did you find yourself, you know, starting to get into trouble? Is it when you were, you know, quite young or later? Yeah. On? Yeah. So um, primary school is where it really started because I was well aware that my gifts. That I, I think everybody comes down with some wherever we come from with gifts or talents or superpowers, and mine were a really strong uh, vocabulary or ability to communicate, high le- high levels of intuition, almost scary to be able to read things before they are about to happen, and especially with people, and an incredible memory as well. So I came with that, and when I was went into school, and because we came like home was unconditional love and primary school is sort of the first time you get told hang on you're not perfect and no and even though mum and dad were strict with us but this wasn't mum and dad and I remember thinking to the uh, the teachers at at a really young age you're fair game if you want to if you want to test me then okay here we go and and it's probably quite a uh, narcissistic way to be thinking at a young age but yeah I, I really that's when I started digging the heels in and spent a lot of time. They'd ship me off the, because there were a lot of no female teachers really back then, and the female teachers I don't think they really knew how to handle me that well, and that's f- completely fair because I was really going after them and targeting them, and um, yeah, they'd ship me off from class to class because they couldn't handle, and um, and then I'd spend time in the in the. Um, staff room and the you know the, the naughty room and all lots this. of detention lot yeah to the point where <laughs> mum and dad got a bit over it actually yeah. to be really honest but that's where it all started the defiance I'm right I'm gonna do things my way and this you know like it's this last that's go last forever that unless you sort of go back and think, hang on why am I doing this is it working for me but yeah that's where the trouble truly started okay so um, I, my my first um, time hearing you, James, chat was actually here in Roydor Reserve, yep. where Radio Caram is, and um, at the footy club, talking to some young men, and you were you were talking about mental health and growing up and the importance of actually asking for help. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, was was that something that perhaps as a young kid did you understand the importance of asking for help? Did, was asking for help ever something that was on the the radar for you, or did no one really kind of connect or see what was happening with you at that time? Or so that's an awesome question. So the support was absolutely there because I've always had amazing mentors in the legal and illegal world. 
So I've always had access to be able to speak, and I can speak, but it just wasn't done. Like you didn't do it. I'd notice people would do it if they'd have a drink, mm. and I noticed when people would take drugs, it was really sort of done. I was really happy to go to those sort of places, maybe not around 13, 14, 15, that awkward age. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't like – it wasn't – definitely wasn't is, is the way it is now. Mm. Like it's really promoted now. Yeah, I think that's – it's a really important thing, isn't it? Because we don't talk enough, A, about mental health and we certainly don't ever really talk about men's mental health and men certainly don't talk about men's mental health or young men don't either. It's a yeah. – boys don't cry, right? Yep. And if it's – like it might be six beers deep at the Cove Hotel and you're I'm talking – you know, and you're feeling comfy, comfortable, but does anything really get solved? Like, you know, if if you're sharing something big, you've got to take immediate action, I believe. But let's let's do this, okay? Mm. Meet me tomorrow in the morning at the beach, and right, you know, like, let's start a routine. Or mm. I don't know, yeah, I don't know. It's always around sort of a lot of the guys I know. It's always around sort of beers, and then people get affectionate and vulnerable and able to. Able to share a bit more, but it's improving. That's for damn sure. I can, I can say that. Yeah, and it improves. I think with conversations like this. So you're this, you're this, you know, young kid in mm. junior school. You don't call it junior school, do you, in Australia? What primary school. Primary oh. school. In primary school, right? You're fine. You're angry. You're getting into trouble. Uh, you know, I'd like to explore a bit later. You know, how that kid kind of g- goes on this path and you know gets involved. I guess in the underworld and things. But I guess what happens next? And you finish, you finish prim- primary school. Um, yeah, what happens next for James? Uh, into year seven and stuff like that. Yeah, so moved, went to a really good uh, high school. Um, and same sort of thing there, but there are a lot of male teachers there and that's where I, I met a teacher because I'm hopeless at mathematics. I can't really read a clock, colourblind as well, so there's a, I've got a bit going on. Um, but we when I got there, I met a teacher by the name of Ron McIver. Now, this bloke um, was an ex-weightlifter. And I remember I was I tried it on my garbage with him, like the routine, and he just, oh gee, just he stood up to me, and it was the best. And um, for someone that was hopeless at mathematics, he got me functioning at this high, high level. Mm. And it's the first time, other than dad, that I'd sort of had someone like call me out. Mm. and then showed me, hang on, mate, I understand where you're coming from. I just think you can get more out of yourself. It was like, oh, what's all this about, you know? So that was cool. But, yeah, towards the end of um, – we were good kids, actually. Like, naughty, I was naughty as, but I never even used to drink. And we were good kids in the community. Like, um, even though I was a terrorist at primary school, a lot of mums, friends still – ask how we are as kids and stuff because we were naughty but we were uh, polite but towards the end of um year uh what is it secondary school that's when you i don't don't know things begin to change a little bit certainly as a boy you start to fill out a little bit more um you want to try on and you know you think you sort of know a little bit it's it's Mm. an interesting time and um yeah, it's well documented in all the things I've done. Um, I think it was the uh, yeah start of year twelve. Yeah, we went to a party and me and my best mate were walking home and randomly attacked, and um, yeah, it sort of set forward a, a mindset and um, 
a vulnerability that that really drove us towards that world but even before that I'd, I'd forgotten that I was bitten by a dog as well and there's no avoiding trauma like mm. we all we all suffer our own versions of it and or suffer or we you know do something about it but um again these conversations like the dog bite which was a significant um trauma because there was a lot of blood loss and plastic mm. surgery and three weeks laid up and then when they attacked my mate um i wasn't able to be there for him in the capacity that i really should have been as a man like i should have really come flying in and at least taken one of them out but that's the first time i have ever lost control of my faculties meaning i wasn't able to make a decision because i was so scared now i've never felt anything like that before and the whole feeling or emotion just it was just horrible like you're pretty full-on thing though just to be jumped yeah yeah they didn't muck around too like I can't stress the seriousness of it to anyone. Like mum and dad saw because I took him back to our house to bandage him up before hospital. Mm. But there was a huge laceration, huge, just above his temple and then one that went from um, his ear sort of down to his chin along his jawbone. So that's only just above the jugular. And the blood, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget what he did when he put his... um, tongue through the wound in his cheek and touched his finger he was so drunk too and again i wasn't um and it was just horrendous and i and i I was looked at him and as he walked to me and he was sort of stumbling and i I could just see his eye and i remember thinking oh my god i've just um i just you internalized it all like Mm. what have i done sort of thing and only the other night, actually, with my wife and a healer friend of mine asked me to do a process and I burst into tears and that all came up again. Mm. It's significant. It's a that's very just, traumatic yeah. experience, though, to be in that moment. And I think, you know, unless you're faced with something like that, you don't, you, you don't know how you're going to react or what mm. you're going to do or how you feel. or mm. Mm. It's something that you'll probably always carry with you and um, yeah. something that you've obviously learnt from as well. Yeah, massively. And... and so all the stuff I set up because I felt like a coward mm. just catapulted both of us into that world. But um, after that, we got him back to mum's, fixed him up, got him off to hospital. But I remember his ooh, his brother, I'll never forget the way his brother, looked, his older brother looked at me when, because we're close and we're still, we don't see each other all the time, mm. but we are close. And um, grade prep close. And I remember his brother looked at me like, where were you? And Mm. I was like, oh. And it was, um, well, it was one of those looks where you just, you know, it was like, okay, all right. Well, this is never happening again. And then you've got the dog bite. I'm Mm. like, this is twice now. Mm. Um, I'm going to go on the attack sort of thing. So something switches. Yeah, I'd had enough. Yeah. I've had enough of this crap. And, uh, you know, we never chatted, um, me and uh, Alex, about it. But we both instinctively thought the same thing at the same time. And in a, in a intangible way, we put our backs to each other. Mm. And it was like, we'll take on all comers from here on out. And uh, we just did it in a really unresourceful way. But I guess the only way at the time that you as young guys would have known. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you're listening to It's My Life on Radio Karam uh, with Carenza and Kim, and we're chatting to James, known as The Hammer, about his really um, interesting, I think, um, life story. And we're going to come back after the break and talk a little bit more about actually, um, I guess, um, your journey into drugs and the underworld. Oi, 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 oi. IGA, it's shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA, for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. Well, you are listening to Radio Caraman. It's my life. And um, that is the Seaford IGA. Not only are they one of our sponsors, they're actually celebrating 10 years today of the Seaford uh, North IGA, just down there in Railway Parade in Seaford. So do want to give them a plug. Twen- uh, 10 years is a pretty uh, fantastic effort, I reckon, in the local community. So um, we're really interested to, I think, explore, you know, the, definitely there's, there's the trauma and things, but, you know, that sense of, nothing like that's going to happen to me again, you know, mm. and that, you know, you, you've described yourself, you know, as going down that pathway to becoming a full-blown drug addict, you know. Yep. So that's a big pathway to take, you know. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, part of that story and, and what happened. Yeah, so um, I should pre- I should have prefaced the whole conversation with um, addiction runs in our family on both sides. So I guess I don't want to – I'm not blaming now. I was just – I've got an addict the addictive gene in a big way um so that was already there um i had emotions a one emotion of feeling like a coward that was too much for me to bear so i started drinking and taking drugs after that and i didn't muck around with uh, marijuana we went straight into um, the mind-altering world of lsd and um it was just there wasn't a it's not that we weren't that we were fearless or I was fearless, it was, well, we'd been through a bit. I think we can handle what's Mm -hmm. coming sort of thing. And that's ego, really. Mm. And, um, yeah, the the drugs and alcohol certainly kept emotions that I didn't want to deal with at bay for periods of time. But um, not forever. Mm. Like it's a short term, same as I guess prescri- prescription drugs in a lot of way. A lot of ways, it's only as a band aid rather than digging the root out of it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard for us to find the wrong people mm. at all. Mm. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. So with, with with Alex, his family, his his one of his cousins was pretty well connected and knew a lot of people around the St Kilda and uh, Paran area. We went to primary school with a really serious Italian guy um, and we sort of had a bit of a start. And Look, we were, we were really willing to be um, quite violent. We'd take every precaution not to be because violence, it's, it's not it's, – it's a tool. It's mm. like a hammer uses uh, – carpenter will use mm. – a laser level or something like that. But um, if you can, you don't use it. Like I've, I remember the old man um, brought a guy by the name of John Rashid to basketball training when I was a kid. Now he was a massive, he is a massive American, African-American guy. Mm. I was very impressed with him because he was a black belt as well. And um, he ran, I think he ran security or a bouncing company. And I was fascinated with him because he was so big. And he said to me, 
pointed to his mouth and he said, that's where I do all my fighting from. Mm. And I was like, yeah, okay. That's, well, that made a lot of sense to me. So I was always able to sort of get things done in that world with communicating and um, – yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun at the time. I got a, I'm not going to lie, it, it got it got quite um, macabre towards the end. But mm. yeah, it was fun at the start. So how did you go from being you know a drug addict to getting involved with the drug trafficking and and I believe manufacturing as mm. well? How did how did you go? How did that path yeah. you know, lead out? So my intake was um, I needed. I, that's moving drugs was going to be the only way I was going to be able to pay for my habit because it was huge. So I started doing that um, and was reasonably okay at it. I was still, yeah. But if, you, if you're efficient in that world, well, you're a profit for someone that's higher up than you. So you, you, you come under the wares or the watchful eye of the real movers and shakers and um, you're indirectly, indirectly proving yourself over a small sort of period of time. And, yeah, they see you can be trusted and then one thing leads to another. But And I didn't fancy outsourcing any of the debt collecting. It's like, why, why should I give someone else money to go? Oh, I'd just go and get it myself and um, was sort of capable when we were both really quite capable and then from there I was sort of pulled aside by someone else um someone else that I really respected and said look mate you're moving for certain people these people I know are under surveillance and I knew it too because like we'd go to their his house and we'd have to write you could never have a conversation you'd write it all down you'd write it all down on paper rip it up and then flush it down the toilet that's how serious that particular gang was uh you could not say a word in that house and and he said you're gonna you you are gonna get pinched mate you keep knocking around with these people and i was like all right yeah you're right and he said do you want to make real money and um yeah he showed me completely another way and he said if you follow the exact formula that i'm teaching you in regards to the way it's done um, you're never driving your own car, constantly changing phones. Um, what's the other thing? Um, no one knows where you live. Like, so I was a, a hermit for basically two, three years while I was doing this. But that's the price you pay. And he was 100% right. Like, I could realistically still be doing it. It's, um, it, was, it, is, it was a foolproof, not 100% foolproof, but yeah. So that's how that, it just, it was just gradual, like, you know, how do I say it? With drug addiction, it's a dark place. It's the whole scene is so dark. Like if you're a weekend warrior and you're having jumping into some bags on the weekend and having a good time with your mates and coke and whatever, and you've got the income to support it, I get it. Well, good. Go for your life. Do it safe. Be careful. Um, you know, it's it's a tats lot. It's you're playing tats lot old roulette, but. Um, Whatever, but for me, it was a way of life. It was. It was, your life. It was so much more. Like yeah. I had to touch, take drugs every as soon as I got up in the morning, because I couldn't stand who I was. Yeah, it's horrendous. Yeah, very dark place. But they they see you like the the people are watching the the vultures and they're like, hang on, this guy really, it's a business for him. And 
because the rest of it's sort of dark and you're, you're dealing with um, people that made excuses. I did my best not to... Well, I knew you make excuses, you've got to pay one way or another and it's, you know, it's the way it goes. Happened quickly, really quickly. I can imagine. So you are listening to It's My Life on Radio, Karen. We're talking to James, known at that time in your life as The Hammer. We're going to play some uh, a couple of tracks as well. Um, and you've picked, um, we've asked you for some tracks that, you know, really stand out. And one of the ones you've got is Reckless uh, or Don't Be So by Ozzy Crawl. Um, what's it about that song that kind of really stands out for you? I love the bit um, when he says, oh, it's tied in with the postcard bandit to a Brendan Abbott story. Anyone that's seen it will know. James Rain's a legend. He's a Peninsula boy too. But that song when he says, "Put throw down your guns. Yeah, I just I love that. I just love it. It's so Australian, this song. All right, well, let's have a listen. This is Australian Crawl and Reckless here on Radio Carom. Come on, Freddy's Kitchen in Station Street for a coffee and something nice to eat. Yeah, the pizzas are great. In fact, all the food rates down at Freddy's Caram Station Street. Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now. Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now. It's a pizza. It's a mystic pizza. Oh, I love it. You are on Radio Caram listening to It's My Life. And that was, of course, a jingle for the fantastic sponsor, Freddy's. And if you've not got down there for a pizza or a coffee, then clearly you have not lived because it's fantastic pizza and coffee. We, we love it. So Kim and I were chatting this afternoon to um, James or The Hammer at this point in your life with... Um, I've heard so many times as well, you know, people that kind of get involved in with drugs, you know... Um, I'm high as a kite, I'm king of the world, I'm having the absolute best time. Mm. But at the same time, it can also be the absolute worst time, you know. Mm. So one minute you're king of, literally king of the world, and then it's all turned to shit, you know. Tell us a bit about that and what kind of, what happens in that moment, in that time. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, That top of the world, Ma, sort of stuff, that's, that's movies, like... You have moments where you feel like you're running on top of the ground. You might have made a massive earn and you know, you might be looking at 25 grand in your hand, like tax-free and, um, you know, and you might have done a couple of months' work or and you're in your early 20s. That's It's a thrill, you know. You feel like you're above the law. But not for one second did I get around thinking the boys in blue or the girls in blue because the coppers weren't just that... F- they're not silly. I always got around, you're in a sense, you've always got this sense of anxiety because at any moment what I was doing, if they had it kicked in the front door, then I was gone. So my head was there. Your head's always there. Only a moron isn't anticipating the, the what is possible. Um, and I was always plotting or planning and calculating things. So, yeah, you have your moments, you know, if you're, I remember rocking up to certain nightclubs or stuff and you'd just be everyone, yeah, you were straight in and, you know, you've you've got access to everything, women, you've got access to money, uh, hotels, you can sort of, you just do whatever you like and, yeah, you feel like you're fantastic but... um, it's, It's definitely not what it's all cracked up to be because I remember... Like Monday mornings when I'd been awake since Thursday night, just 
little bits of sleep in between and I'd be there on a Monday morning by myself. And I might have spent five grand over a weekend and just thinking to myself, Jesus, what's the point in this? And why can't I stop? Or I'll stop next weekend. And we just kept going on and on. And it was like, oh, God. So many... It was like repeat. Once I got the big loop of the underworld or that, that criminal life or the addiction, that big, that first loop of it, like what it was really all about and drama and the chaos... And then you're up and then you're down and then it loops again. And mm. it's the same thing again. I was like, oh, hang on. It was exciting at the beginning. It was. It really was. I'm not joking. And when you're a young bloke too and, and you're blessed, I was blessed with those skills I talked about, the intuition, the memory and the ability to communicate. Well, that's the perfect place to test all of that. You know, you've got if you've got to be on top of your game, or you're going to get your head taken off. And I don't mean killed because I wasn't operating, and that's sort of not really not on that level. But you've got to be on your game because people are looking to take you at any opportunity. And mm. I I freaking loved that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much the violence and the drugs, but pitting your mind against someone or something that and, and getting the job done and and not getting caught. And that's what I really enjoyed. And I, we just talked on the break. Adrenaline, it's just full on adrenaline and nothing's changed. I still need to hit that adrenaline but in regards to on top of the world, very fleeting. Carenza, mm. very fleeting. So obviously there was a change. Uh, was it a rock bottom change? Like did you hit rock bottom or mm. was there a moment for you that, that turned it around? Mm, I hit rock bottom all the time. Oh, not all the time. I hit rock bottom a lot but I, you know, now with experience you know, okay, well this is where you get up. Make, what do they say? Make sure you fall on your back so if you look up, you get up sort of thing. But, yeah, the rock bottom, I've had a few. Like when that bloody um, a really serious operator, um, I owed him some money over a large consignment of MDMA that I took uh, took, and there was, a, there was a balance and he took me to a, um, a mansion in Malvern for a meeting and the meeting is I had, they had to give me a working over. A good clipping just to let me know. And I remember he smashed me in the forehead with the gun and opened me up like a watermelon and um, put it in my mouth. And I remember the the, the the teeth on the steel or the metal of the gun. You don't ever forget that. And then just thinking, you know, it's not like your life flashes before you. But I remember thinking, oh, God, I'm better than this. That was a low point. <laughs> and, then, and then the overdosing a couple of days after that when I when I when I, I guess I did come close to death I threw up for 12 hours and saw something very strange in the hallway like a dark it was like a dark and I've talked to people about this actually and other people have had a similar experience it's just like he came through the doorway and the periphery started to go dark and I'm thinking oh I could be off mm-hmm. and then um he just sort of waved his finger like it's not your time, pull your head in sort of vibe. And I was like, oh, my God. God, can you can you get me out of this one? I'll spend the rest of my life helping people and doing the right thing. You, you know, it's just went on to one of those yeah. rants. Yeah, wow. And, Did that give you a faith? Um, yeah, I've got faith. Yep. I don't call it, I call you know, if I'm talking to a Buddhist, my faith is Buddhist, Buddhism. If I'm talking to 
someone from his because like, oh, oh, it's that it's that transferable for me. I know there's something there, yeah. but I'm not. That's a not what. Definitely, someone to keep me everyone accountable. Absolutely, I've karma. Strange things have happened. I don't know. And if you don't many people to believe in it, all good. But strange things have happened to me, and I've been let off too many times, and been guided and directed, and whoever's up there has not given up on me. So. Um, yeah, that's the emotional thing even saying that. But um, what was I saying? We're, we're, you asked a good question. I wanted to go back there. What was your Rock name? bottom. Rock bottom. I guess the thing was, so I had a missus at the time. Um, we were we were not good together. And I and I would put my hand up and say 70% of that was because I, I was a turd. Mm-hmm. So... She wasn't – I was getting stalked by her. See, a lot of women won't want to hear this. But uh, I was stalked by a woman, meaning coming over in the middle of the night, pressing the buzz. She would not give up. I actually had to leave the state, otherwise this was going to keep going. And I remember I went to Pran Police Station after another blue that I had and Skeensy uh, was there and he goes, what are you going to do? This is the copper, the sergeant, he's a ripper too. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. Like, he goes, IVO. I said, what sort of man am I to put an IVO on the sea? But different times and different men. But I kicked her out. I said, you need to go. <laughs> and then I sent all her stuff back to her parents' house. So that left me with a pillow, a doona, two arm weights, a deck chair and a radio. That's worse than a third world prison. Mm. That's so, but I wanted to do it, and then I and then I started lighting incense and drinking a lot of water because I just I didn't drink any water for like four years. Mm. It was just Jack Daniels and VB and whatever. But um, so I went mad. That was my Howard Hughes aviator experience. <laughs> I actually went mad. Started obsessively washing my hands. I've stopped that. Um, I would go to bed starving um, because I didn't have money. I'd shut down a lot of the, the, the hard drugs. I was just doing bits and pieces to get by. Um, so I starved, uh, sleeping on the carpet. At least I had a nice apartment though. But um, And the thing is what I would need to stress here, this was the, the lowest point absolutely because this went on for six months. Didn't see anyone. I literally lost the plot. But at the same time, found out what I was made of as a person. Now, I could have gone home to mum and dad during this period. The defiance that I developed as a young kid, that resilience and wanting to test myself and all this sort of stuff, that was when it was like, if you go home to mum and dad now, what has all this been worth? And I thought, I'm gonna, I am going to get something out of all this and just knuckle down. <laughs> and it was shocking. I was talking to myself all the time. Like, so I'd gone from this enormous social life mm. on top of all the nefarious criminal activity mm. to nothing and uh, no money and um, all alone. So that was a huge reality check. And I started to work out these people weren't friends. You know, at least the criminals, there was just business. But I had all these hangers-on that were 
they, in, they walked taller when I was around, you know. Like they would straight up tell me that. I'm talking people that are, I was 21, 22, 23. I'm talking about people in their 35, 40s. You know, old people older than me, CEOs, and I was knocking around with some wild people back then. Football players, all this. It was it was wild. The, the Turak operators. Um, and they were walking taller because I was around. So I had all these hangers on for the wrong reasons. And the old man, was, all, these st- all these things and mum and dad used to teach me when I was a kid. I knew right from wrong and I was associating with a lot of people uh, in in a world they just didn't know any better. And then I was associating with people from high society, for example, and they were just trying to get a chunk of pound of flesh. And I mean, so I had to just bunker down and just, I just shut down. They call it in The Godfather hitting the mattresses. Mm-hmm. Like you literally go to ground. And I've done it many times in my life just because I needed a spell and I needed to reevaluate. Now that, after the first three months, I'd made another big earn and I could have bought a TV and stuff. But I got used to sleeping on the floor and, and living like a monk that I just did it for another three months just because I could. Because I wanted to test myself. This is what sort of unit you're dealing with here, girls. Like a strange <laughs> operator, you know. And But I tell you what, from that low point, the, the man you're standing in front of me here that stands in front of you that doesn't need to impress anyone and just happy with his lot and really happy in his own skin came from that the fire and brimstone of that. Because mm. like, if, if you go home tonight, go and look at a piece of floor and put your cushion there and grab your journey and see how long you last. It won't be long. Mm. You know, so that was the low point. But yeah, and yeah. I love answering that question. So yeah. thanks for asking that. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so you, so basically, that was like the start of your rebuilding mm. time. Yeah, and dried out. Like I had, on top of all that, I was drying out from hard drugs mm. and was still smoking a lot of marijuana and having a drink, as like a step down from hard drugs. Yeah. And I did it like the white knuckle, you know, like I was sweating on, sweating and shaking and carrying on, and it was hell. But the truth is, I was on the dance floor and having a good time for many a year. It's time to pay the piper, as they say. So I'm, I'm curious. So w- where did the idea for hard cuddles then begin? Was it in mm. that moment? Did it come later? Was it in that six-month period when you were, I guess, looking deeply into yourself and asking who do you want to be? Or where did, that, yeah. where did that idea kind of begin to bubble up for you? So good question. The, the three skills, communication, memory, and intuition, I was well aware, as I said, in primary school, all through the, that world, I was using those three skills just to, they were just invaluable. And I noticed like when I was in that world, I was d- dealing with people that had serious reputations for violence, if not murder. Mm. Very, very capable people. And I noticed if I was able to get them one-on-one, because I wanted to know what made it, like as we discussed before, you're not born like that. Yeah, it's something happens. Maybe. Something happens. So I'd ask, but I'd do it in a, my intuition. Would get them one out and just sort of have a little bit of a chat ski about, and they'd tell me, and I remember thinking, okay, and then the next person would tell me, and the next, and I remember thinking, I got something here. I've really got something because I was able to just pull like a thread, and the mm. whole thing had come down. Mm. 
and then we're, we would connect. So I would have a connection or a friendship with a very dangerous pet person with a huge reputation on a totally on another level. Mm. And people were always wondering, well, how does this how does this work? And it had nothing to do with being tough. I was a good listener, and I was fascinated. I've been like that since I was a kid. My you know my old man used to tell me these stories, and I'd beg him to tell me more. I've always been into it. So there, and then when I moved up the coast. After that uh, six-month spell, I moved up the coast to Marimbula where a footy club took me in, got me work. You can't hide in the country. Mm. Like if you're a clown, everyone knows you're a clown. You don't get to go anywhere. You don't, everyone's just like, okay. So you've got to p- produce. And they made me start trusting in myself again and, and trusting in the community and the rock-solid, salt-of-the-earth people up there and became part of it really easy but – that was my first client. One of the kids up there, he was about 20 at the time. I was about 25. And, uh, yeah, it's 19 he was. And he was just parked on the side of the road and he'd been kicked out of a house he was living at. I hadn't lived with anyone in years. And I saw him there and Buck, and I, his name is, and I, he's, he was a groomsman at my wedding. I saw him sitting there and I drove past and I thought, oh, shit, I've got to go back. Because I, intuition, I drove bust and I knew exactly what had happened. And yeah. he ended up being my first real hard cuddles client before it was even started. Yeah. And all it was was, I didn't, I don't like being told what to do. But if someone can, if someone asks me to do something, I'll always help them. But if someone can tell me a story, mm. I'll pick what I need to out of it to make my own sense. And so I said, mate, do you want to move in with me against my, you know. Yeah, so he moved in and I just influenced him. Yeah. Just influenced him. I would tell him stories and that because he was impressionable. Mm. And I'd tell him stories and then I'd take him back to Melbourne when we'd have a break from footy or whatever and show him what life was really like, what it's really all about, you know. Like I'd let him, I'd introduce him to some pretty serious people and he got to have his little bit of fun but I noticed... He's a crane driver now, or he's a rigger and successful, got a kid. And, and I noticed I was able to influence him in a positive way, and, but I still hadn't put it all together yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, yeah, I, I was able to do it, but I hadn't worked out full, fully. Yeah. And you're yeah. onto something, aren't you? Because I think I'm a real believer that it just takes one person to believe in you, one yeah. person to listen, one person to care enough to try <laughs> and work out what's kind of going on in your world. Yeah. That's all it takes to That's make a it. difference, isn't it? That's. Yeah. It's not huge, is it? No. Someone that will listen and I think it helps if you look at the person and go, shit, they've been there. Yes. You know, they've been at the, And it doesn't have to be addiction. It's just if you faced serious heat in life, as have you, and you know how to d- drive through heavy traffic, as the old man says, you know, it's, um, it's a bloody handy skill. You know, it's like no, no matter how big the drama is, it's like, okay, well, it's not going to make any sense to run in and go, ah, and start screaming as well. Let's, <laughs> let's just bring it down a bit. What can we control? What can't? And we just start from there and let's just get the conversation going. Well, you are listening to It's My Life on Radio Karen. We're going to play another track actually now and then we're going to come back and really talk about some of the amazing things that Hard Cuddles does today and, and what you're up to. So you chose Soul Man as well by Sam and Dave. Mm. Was it about Soul Man that kind of strikes a chord for That's you? That's me now. That's me now, yeah. Reckless to soul, man. Yeah, finding my, finding what you're about, you know, is connected to your own soul in a lot of ways. 
your true self. Yeah. Let's have a listen. And this is Sam and Dave and Soul Man. If you're the caraway, just call Mitchell Tor. Or in Patterson Lakes, just call Mitchell Tor. Anywhere Bayside, just call Mitchell Tor. Buy a summer house. Just call Mitchell Tall. Mitchell Tall. Real estate. Oh, yeah, a little real estate. We want more. Hello, my name is Océane, I come from Martinia and you are listening to Radio Carom. Don't worry about a thing Cause Atticus Health will make you feel alright Don't worry about a thing Cause Atticus Health We'll make you feel all right If you got a tummy ache Or you don't feel right Or if you have a nasty rash Keeping you up at night Don't worry, don't worry About a thing Don't worry Cause Atticus help Will make you feel all right what a creative advertising team we have here at Radio Karen. What can I say? Yeah, Absolutely awesome. And great to have so many um, local sponsors as well getting behind this fantastic local radio station. You're listening to Kim and Carenza and It's My Life. And we're talking to James, known as The Hammer. And we're really keen now to hear about some of the incredible work that you do with mm. um, Hard Cuddles, which is just so inspirational and how you've, I guess, taken your life, your mm. journey all the things that you've seen and done, um, and you're actually bringing that now to support other people and, and I guess really having those conversations about mental health and getting people to, you know, start thinking about asking for help and all of those things. So um, I guess when you first set up Hard Cuddles, I mean, I'm interested, what was it that you really, you know, wanted to achieve? Like if you had a big vision, what was it? Um, no, no real vision, just um, my own Life experience and support was all I was offering and a perspective because I've been in a lot of drama myself and had experienced lots of mental health challenges. I never called them what they call. I never used labels but I've been through the horrors um, and most of the people I know have. So I thought to myself, I've got a little bit of experience here and just thought I'd start and then got a, did the diploma in counselling which was very hard for me because I struggle at school. Uh, concentrating on things anything that my memory retention is amazing for things I care about so I really battled through that and met another fella beautiful Simi big Simi the Samoan guy who's a father of six like myself big bruiser tattoos um, and we've got a few other boys studying mental health and stuff but we just offer a, probably a combination of counselling if that's needed peer support and um, mentoring a hybrid mm which I think you'll find the Royal Commissions, that's exactly what they're looking for. So this is that intuition. I didn't – that came – the findings came out after and I was like, yep, I think we're on the right right path here, yeah. 
So, uh, James, you work, you do a bit of work with uh, men and, and youth uh, using ice. Mm. Um, ice is a very different type of drug to, to what we used to have, like heroin, or, um, speed, speed and yeah. cocaine. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a really uh, different drug in that, you know, the, with um, the sleep deprivation comes the psychosis and everything else. Uh, and there's a lot of violence. How, how do you turn these young lives around? working with or do you no you do we've got a good strike rate i've actually stopped working with ice addiction it's too hard especially if parents are involved and if i'm doing it if i for example if i take on a client that's addicted to ice and there's a lot of lying with ice it's just part of the drug it's not the person and the person's going yeah yeah i'll do the writing and all the the addict and they're just lying through their teeth because they want some heat taken off them by me if I work. If they say we're working together, and then the parents will give them a bit of a break. Mm. Indirectly, you're doing. I'm just doing it for the wrong reasons. That did happen, and I was doing it for the parents because they were such lovely people. The, the actual addict had no intention of stopping, and it's heartbreaking to see that look in the parents' eyes that I can't help you. So we've stopped occasionally if one comes along and I can sense that he's at the right time. Yeah, we'll we'll go for it, but it has to be special. But you know, uh, what's his name? Michael was over at our house. He's a guy that it was pinch and change from cars mm-hmm. when when I came to him, and we're, sorry, when he came to me, and now he's very successful. He's got two kids and about to finish his apprenticeship. Start fighting again. Um, he's a professional fighter, amateur fighter. He was over the other night, but that was a cuddle. Like he bowls in an hour and a half late to a meeting, so I got all the intel off his mum, and he bowls in like Rick James. Really, you know, he'd been awake and um, <laughs> he's got so much spunk, this kid. And he bowls in like this is my house, and walks in like that. And I let his mum go out the room, and I walked up to him and I, I gave him a hug, and I said to him, "Did you? Can you feel that?" Because it's probably the closest thing he's felt that's real in a long time. And I gave him a big uh, Harding hug and he said, yeah, I felt that. And I said, that's that's called real, mate. And I said, that's the start. And I said, are you with me? And he goes, yeah. And, yeah, we're still together. So here's another one off the streets. We've got a few wins like that. But that's one. But like, that's just intuition. Mm. I just knew he needed a hug. Yeah. And then when I felt that thing that between us, like he – you know, there's sometimes there's like um, electricity. So, all right, let's go. Let's go. It's the power of the moment, isn't it? I've been here, you know, and I've, I've heard you speak actually, you know, I've said before at the football club, you know, and h- how you talk, I think, and hold a room, you know, and how, how you, I guess just by opening up and sharing some of your own story, how that encourages other people to say, well, actually, these things are happening to mm. me, isn't it? Because I think so many people fly under the radar, don't they? You don't ask for help. You don't know how to ask for help. You don't know where you're at or where you're feeling. You know, that's mm. that's a big part of what you guys do as well, isn't it? You kind Absolutely. of start those conversations. Yeah, yeah, and it's good when it's coming from me. Like if 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 you're six two, 105 kilos and covered in tattoos and you're bald, well, you look like a bouncer. And... Um, for a, a guy that looks like me to be able to to be really comfortable to go to dark places and talk about things that most people aren't real comfortable to talk about, it just promotes a good message, and it also don't judge a book by its cover, mm. you know. But um, it's amazing. It's opened a lot of doors, Corenza. Like you know the work we're doing at Irma and now Phoenix and Access Your Supports, and it just goes on all the big, 
all the bigger mobs are asking us for help with their com- with complex mental health and and disability. That now that is just so disability is a beautiful place to be working. That's it's incredible. Um, understanding autism, Victorian Police um, Counterterrorism Command have asked us to do some really sensitive community work with them, which is an honour because when we started, I said the Army, Police. Um, what else? The building industry, I think, and there was one other. And I think we've ticked three of those goals already off. And the, we're working with the army to help the police not return soldiers and stuff. It's just amazing, and heaps of work with guys inside and outside of prison because of my background. We get a pass. We get trusted. We're able to go into places, uh, like as in the ambassador and places and nobody other mental health people aren't allowed to go in there or they don't want to go in there we'll go in because we love it and i mean the other day how's this for work (laughs) we're coming out of prison as a team we've been working with one of the guys that runs that particular prison so heavyweight and we're talking about it and then a girl that i know um genie rings up and goes listen a guy we're working with has been using ice. Um, we've got him a spot in a rehabilitation facility. She said, it's in two days. Like he's so off his head, he's got to dry, dry out. They won't take him yet. And she goes, have you got two of your biggest blokes just to sit on him for two days? And I looked in the rear view and Simi was behind me and Danny was behind me. And they just nodded their head like, yep. Yeah. And I said to Jenny, let, uh, Jenny, let me work out a price and I'll get back to you. And I said, right, so... We're literally going to have to take him to a hotel and just stay there and not, and you know, he's coming down and stuff. But we did it. We literally presented him like a package to the rehab and go, here's your package. Yeah, that's above and beyond. <laughs> it is above and beyond. That's why it's truly above and beyond. Yeah. So, how do people get in touch with hard cuddles? Oh, just the email. Um, uh, James Maxwell set up a really good program. You can book in on, via the internet, um, Instagram, you can get us, or Facebook. Email, phone call, just leave a voicemail. Just leave a voicemail. I don't answer um, if I don't answer. I won't answer unless there's uh, – sorry. I won't reply unless there's a voicemail or, or a message. But, um, yeah, if we don't – if, if it, you're not our cup of tea, I'll be able to direct you in someone that, that is – well, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat mm. to you today, James. We could go on all afternoon yeah. and evening, I'm sure, and uh, really excited that maybe we might get a Hard Cuddles radio show here on Radio Carom. Yeah, why not? Why not indeed? Why not? Well, thanks, everyone. You've been listening to It's My Life on Radio Carom, where we've talked today to James Harding about his incredible life story and Hard Cuddles, the organisation he has set up and his work today that supports young people and adults as well experiencing struggles with drugs, alcohol, crime and their mental health. It's been an incredible journey and one that clearly still has a very long way to go. And we really look forward to following the wonderful work of James and the Hard Cuddles team for many more years to come. Um, If any of today's conversations have impacted you at all, then you can call Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14, a national charity that provides 24-7 crisis supports. So join us next time when we talk to another incredible local resident, Peter, who is a local historian. He talks to us about the rich history of Karen and his family's involvement in the area. From the naming of the Life Saving Club after his father his mother's role as a lifesaver on Carrum Beach, to his early memories of the Carrum Football Club. It's going to be a great journey back in time. Until next time, take care.
Smile.